Yesterday, I had the excitement and joy to sit in a place that had 109,000 people as we shouted and screamed for a, a group of people to try to get a silly ball across a goal line. But this morning, we gather for a much greater purpose, to worship our Lord together. And then we gather with some new and familiar faces to celebrate not a football getting across a goal line, but to see individuals who've already placed their faith and their trust in Jesus and trusted in him as their Lord and Savior to follow up with a step of obedience by following him in baptism. If you haven't already seen, we've got quite a few guests with us, and I love the fact that they're sitting up close within the splash zone, <laughs> and that may have two meanings, as we'll see in a minute, but they're sitting up close to watch and participate and celebrate with their friends and their family as they get baptized today. I would challenge you to don't sit back. Don't sit on your hands. Don't sit there quietly. Now, if you need to sit there quietly and that's your way to worship, then feel free to do that. But I'm saying let's celebrate what we're watching. And if you've already trusted in Jesus as your Savior, maybe rewind the tape and remember when you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. Maybe remember the time that you got in the water and the water didn't save you, but it was an indication of what the Lord has already done in your life. And so we have come to celebrate Jesus for who he is and to watch seven people get baptized this morning. So, so here's what we're doing. Here at our church, we have the baptistry up here. And that means there's room for people to gather and stand around. So if you're family and friends, feel free to do that. Now, if we end up having 50 people up here, then I'm going to need some of you family and friends maybe to stand on the stage here. And I'm going to ask you to stand back as far as you can so that others in the room can watch the baptism as well, okay? And so I've got some guys that are going to kind of remind us of that and help us along the way. So we're going to go ahead and get started. If I call a name and you're with that person and you want to watch them be baptized up close and personal, then come on up. So Rose Velasic, if you'll come on up this direction, and we will start with her. So uh, don't be bashful. If you're friends and family, go ahead and start gathering around here uh, to celebrate with her. And with each one, you're going to be able to hear a little bit of their story about why they have come to today to be baptized. Uh, and so I want you to be able to listen up. There'll be a microphone to catch them and everything. So if you'll just stand right here, Rose. Yeah, just stand up right there. Then uh, if, I'm going to let them kind of scoot this direction if you can. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and let Rose share as people are arranging themselves. Why do you come to be baptized today? She said yes to Jesus. And what I love about our shirts is they, they're wearing shirts that say, I've decided to, uh, to follow. Well, it says I've decided no turning back, right? And so it's this idea that she has said yes to Jesus, and she wants to follow him in baptism. So, Rose, based on that, we're going to go ahead and celebrate your baptism. Your dad's going to help me out as well. So, Rose, it is my pleasure, based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be able to baptize you, my sister, and your dad's helping as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ. And raised to walk in newness of life. All right. All right. Howard, who you got? All right. Tess Moody. Woo! 
Let's come up right here. Let's not. How you doing, babe? You good? Water's warm. All right, so y'all need to get on stage, probably. Yeah, scooch up. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tess. Yes. Tess, can you tell us how come we're here getting you baptized today? Because over the summer, God was working in my heart, and I prayed and I asked him to save me, and he did. And the next step of my obedience to him is baptism. It's pretty good stuff. <laughs> Let's go ahead and have a seat here. So your dad and I are going to baptize you today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You ready? You've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. Ready to go, Daniel Thomas. I know some. He's coming. It's a big dog. <laughs> you can step down one. I don't want you to be that much taller than me. All right. <laughs> Daniel, we went on a journey through this, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us how come we're getting baptized today? So getting baptized today because it's a step of obedience that God commands me to do as I've become a believer and it's a public profession of faith. Textbook. <laughs> Perfect. Have a seat. Brother, it is my honor to baptize you as my brother. Okay, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. Let's keep it all in the family. Samantha Thomas. <clears throat> there he is. I was looking for you. It's a good day, Daddy. Yeah, stand right there for us. Hi, sweetie. Y'all scooch up this way so everybody can see. Here we go. So we're going to get you baptized today. How come? Why are we here? Um, so I can show others I believe, I believe in God. And you do believe in him, don't you? Yeah, that's fantastic, sweetie. Well, it's going to be our honor to baptize you as our sister in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. <laughs> Hayes Kruger. Right. He's the one I'm afraid was just going to jump in. <laughs> I know him. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all scooching. Get right in here. There we go. We've earned front row, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right, big dog. What are we doing? How come we're getting baptized today? Um, to... I show everybody that I committed my life. To Jesus? To Jesus. Big time. All right. Well, your daddy's going to baptize you today. And, and he's going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's my privilege to baptize you and welcome you as my brother. Being buried with Christ in baptism. Great to walk in That's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. 
He did, yes, he jumped right out. Boy, it's full of energy. <laughs> Abigail Smith. Ready? There we go. How you doing, sweet lady? Good. Doing well? So what are we doing here today? Baptism. <laughs> there you go. You, you found out. I, I didn't know. So I figured it out finally. Thank you. I was like, what are we doing? So, so how come you're here getting baptized? Because it's an act of obedience. Amen. I, I wish we all looked at things like that as a matter of fact. God said so, didn't he? Yeah. Well, it's going to be our, our honor to baptize you as our sister in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ and raised to walk in a new life. All right, let's make a little room. Scooch this way. You can stay up here, but make a little room. My man, Caden. Yeah, we got to make some room for sure. Yeah, get around. What's up, bro? Hey, Davis ain't got you. Davis? Ain't got no love. Come on, Davis. Right here, man. They're coming. They're coming. We'll wait on him. We'll wait on him. Sit down here. Yeah, the younger ones, if you could get on the stage, that'll allow them. Yeah, scooch up this way. Scooch up this way. There we go. There we go. We got your spot up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Come on. Right over here, bro. How you doing, man? Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all. All right. You've been waiting on this. We're waiting two months for this. You had a, you had a countdown on, on Insta, I heard. You all prayed for us? Yeah. Um, okay, so... If you don't know me, my name is Brakaden Smith, and um, I'm here today getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, about a month ago, I, I, was, I was awakened by Christ during the summer, but I wouldn't say I was really saved. But this Wednesday, Wednesday evening at a small group with my guys up here, um, I, asked, I asked everybody, I was like, like, what's going on in y'all lives? You know what I'm saying? Like, like what's going on? And they shared like what's going on in their heart, and I thought it was going to be something like positive, but everybody started like just like they had something to get off their chest, and I was like, dang! And I was all I was all ears. I was listening, and then um, I shared my story, and then we had people at the table crying, praying for each other, and like I was praying to God before that. I was like, and then He wouldn't answer my prayers, but then I read a verse saying that that God doesn't answer the prayers to the, to the wicked-minded. He answers the prayers to the cry-out calls, the cry-out prayers. So I get home, and I go on the phone with my aunt and my grandma, and I ask them for answers, and then I start breaking down crying. I, didn't, I, I hung up the phone because I didn't want to hear them crying. I got to mm. be strong for my family. I got to be strong for my friends, be a leader for them. And, and then after I hang up the phone, I just break down crying, like, Hallelujah. I break down crying. Amen. I'm praying to, to the Lord. And then you don't, if you like, you don't even have to say any words. Like you can put your hands together and then God will answer it. Answer it. Even without words. He yes. answers Amen. the broken heart. Yes. So, so I was crying, not saying anything. And then, and then 
it, it done something to my heart. I, like, I, at the time, I didn't know what the Lord was doing, but I trusted in him. And, it, and then it brought me to this day. And Amen. I'm in the, I get in the bathtub. I'm in, <laughs> I, get, I get in the bathtub, I take my mind off of things, and then next thing you know it, I'm fine. Like, nothing happened. Amen. I'm happy. I'm laughing. And I'm here today just because I just want to let y'all know that the Lord is here, and the yes. Lord will be by your side through yes. everything, yes. through through the good, through the bad, I'll crying, be. everything. And, yeah, and that's my story. You want them to know it, don't you? Yes, you sir. want them to know. Praise God. Praise God. Have a seat, my brother. Okay, and it is my honor to baptize you as my brother. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ. And raised to walk in a new life. All right, as, as folks begin to make their way back to the seat, I want us to just celebrate what the Lord has done. How exciting to see people trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior in such a way that they invite friends and family and folks come to see what God is doing. So I want to pray for us, and then after that prayer, uh, wait for the end of the prayer. After the prayer, if you are a kid going to children's worship or to fusion, you can head that way. We're not going to have children's chat this morning. So let me pray, and then the kids can be dismissed at that time, all right? Adults will be in the back kind of directing everybody where they need to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what we witnessed in this place. God, we thank you for lives that have been impacted by the gospel, lives that have been radically changed and redirected because of the hope that's found in Christ, lives that have been uh, at a place where they've said yes to Jesus and turned from sin in faith and repentance. God, I pray that you give all of us that desire to follow you, to serve you, and to demonstrate with our lives that we are your kids. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. Children can be dismissed to their respective places. All right. As they do that, I again want to welcome you to our service. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Alan Pittman, and I serve as senior pastor as well as one of the elders here at our church. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're with us, whether you're here in the building or whether you're worshiping online, whether you live in town or you live out of town, whether you're here because you came for a baptism or whether this is your first time in the door or you've been here a million times, we are absolutely thrilled that you're with us. I will say this to those of you that are here uh, watching and participating with your friends and family in their baptisms, if you live in town and you're not actively involved in another Bible-believing church, we'd love for you to come and worship with us anytime. Uh, we have services every Sunday morning at 1030. We have lots of other things going on in the life of our church. If you're a part of a Bible-believing church somewhere else, stay there. Uh, keep, keep serving the Lord there. But if you're not involved in church, we'd love for you to come check out our church. In fact, a moment ago on the video, we announced that we are having a new member class that's happening on Sunday, October 22nd at 540, uh, sorry, 445. If you're interested in serving, I'm uh, sorry, in going to that, you can sign up um, and participate with that. One other thing that I want to remind you of, if you are a member, uh, you should already know this, but after the service this morning, we are going to be having a short business meeting to discuss and to vote on 
an air conditioner need uh, in our church. It won't last long, but I encourage you to stick around to be a part of that. All right, hopefully when you came in, you picked up a worship guide, and if you didn't, that's okay. The notes will be on the board, uh, on, the, on the screen, but on the back of the worship guide is a place where you can take notes as we go through the sermon this morning. You can see that we're in the book of Acts right now. Next week, we'll be going to Acts chapter 24. We as the church family have been walking through the book of Acts um, over the last several months, and if you uh, kind of find yourself going, Alan, it feels like you're in the middle of a story, and I don't know where you started off. I'm going to try to bring you up to speed, but if you need to, you can go back uh, later today or this week to our, our website, lhbc.net, and you can get on our sermon uh, archive, and you can see some of the older sermons that tie into where we have been to this point in our uh, series through the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there should be a Bible somewhere around you underneath a chair, somewhere around you. You can grab one of those. You can use that. If you don't have a Bible or you need a Bible or you know someone that needs a Bible, don't put the Bible back in the rack. Just take it with you when you leave the uh, service today because this would be a gift to you. Uh, we want folks to have uh, the Bible in their hands to be able to use them. All right? So this morning we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 23. We're not going to look at the text yet, but that's where we're going to be is Acts chapter 23. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And you can see that the sermon title is God Intervenes to Advance His Purpose. I, I don't know what you like to watch on TV. I do like to watch football, but I also like to watch like action. Um, I like to watch some of the crime shows, uh, that kind of thing. And so several years ago when the show The Blacklist came out, I started watching that. And it was good in some ways. In other ways, it wasn't. But here's what I like about those kind of shows. There is a recurring scene in many of these shows. It, it looks the same, it just has different characters, and that scene looks like this. A prisoner is being transported from point A to point B. Someone wants that prisoner free, and so they come up with a plan or a plot or an ambush to intercept that prisoner so they can break that prisoner free. And so the way it usually looked in Blacklist was this. They would have the prisoner in an, in, in an SUV or a Suburban, and the folks that want to break them free will know where the route is going. I don't know how, but they always do. And then they time it perfectly, and they T-bone the car. They fly it out of nowhere, ram into the car. The car breaks open. Everybody else is injured and dazed and confused, but the prisoner they're able to snag, and they take them to to freedom, right? Today's passage is not dissimilar from that. Like the Bible sometimes has a lot of drama to it, and the text we're looking at today has a lot of drama. The difference this time is instead of breaking a prisoner free, the plan is to ambush a, a prisoner transport transport from point A to point B, and when they intercept the prisoner, they're not going to break him free. Instead, they're going to be vigilantes, and they're going to kill the prisoner while he's transported. That prisoner has the name of Paul. So in the book of Acts, we've been studying the life of Paul, who's a missionary that goes all over the world to share the gospel, and now he's in custody of the Roman authority, and we're finding out, as we did last week, that he's going to go to Rome, and that's kind of where we pick up the story. So if you don't mind, would you look with me at Acts chapter 23? We're going to read the last verse we left, read last week, which is verse 11. So I'm going to read verse 11. It was in last week's message, but it will remind us where we are in the story. Um, it says, while Paul was under arrest, it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him, Jesus stood by him, and here's what he said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also 
testify in Rome. So here we have Paul, missionary of God, the apostle, the one who wrote a lot of the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul is in jail, and he's comforted by Jesus. Even though you're in jail, I have plans for you, and, and it's going to be okay. So verse 11, while he's in jail and in prison, it ends on a positive note. Take courage. It's going to be all right. And then the very next verse, the very next day, the story gets flipped upside down, and we see in verse 12. Here is verse 12. When it was day, so the next morning after Jesus told him everything was all right, when it was day, the Jews, the leaders, some of the leaders, some of the people of the Jews, made a plot, and they bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. We're going to stop right there. What we have here, and we'll find out later in the text, is we have 40 plus, more than 40 people that are zealots for the law of God, and they're living in such a way that they're actually living contrary to God's law. We have 40 zealots that are determined that they're going to have Paul killed, and they take a drastic oath. Here's what the oath was. We're not going to eat, we're not going to drink anything until we first fulfill our oath, and that oath is to kill Paul. Paul is in custody with the Romans. They are Jewish people. How are they going to fulfill their oath? They are determined to kill Paul, and they take a drastic oath while doing so. It's interesting. As we read through the text, we will see the word bound in the SV several times. Verse 12, it says they bound themselves by an oath. That word bound in the Greek is the word anathema. Maybe you've heard that word before. The word is anathema, and the word anathema here means curse with divine penalties if it's not carried out. They're saying we're going to kill Paul, we're not going to eat or drink until we do so, and may we be accursed if we fail to fulfill our vow. They are taking this quite seriously. In verse 14 that we'll read in a moment, the word anathema is actually used two times in a row, and they say we are strictly bound by this oath. The word strictly and the word bound are both the word anathema. So they like anathema, anathema, anathema. They are serious about this vow. Here's the deal. They actually thought they were doing the Lord's work. That's why they said, if we don't fulfill this vow, may we be cursed, may we be killed, may we be destroyed, because they thought they were doing the Lord's work and they clearly were not. So that's what the scenario is. Paul is in prison. Jesus comes and says, everything's going to be all right. You're going to go to Rome, take courage. In the very next verse, we find out, oh my goodness, there are people that are vowing their very lives and saying, may we be accursed if we don't fulfill it because we're going to kill Paul. We don't have the answer to this question, but I do wonder, would Paul lose hope over all of this? Would God's plan be blocked. I don't think he lost hope based on the things we read about him. We know for a fact that God's plan is not blocked, and that's the whole reason we're looking at this text. So let's read the rest of the text, verses 13 through 35. It says, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy to kill Paul. What did they do? Verse 14, they went to the chief priests and the elders, the leaders of the people of Israel, and he said, the religious leaders, and they said, we have strictly bound ourselves. There's that anathema, anathema, we've strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore you, 
along with the council or the Sanhedrin, give notice to the tribune, which is the Roman official that had custody of Paul, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near Now, the son of Paul's sister, in other words, his nephew, heard of the ambush. So he went and he entered the barracks, which is where Paul was, and they told Paul about this plan. Verse 17, Paul called one of the centurions, a leader of a hundred in the Roman army, and he said to the centurion, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune, and he said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. So the tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And then he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and he said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen or cavalry and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. That's 9 o'clock p.m. Also provide mounts or horses or donkeys for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to the governor to this effect. He names himself, the tribune's name is Claudius Lysias, there we go, to his excellency, the governor of Felix. Greetings. This man, Paul, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen, not quite telling the story exactly like it happened in the right order, and desiring to know the charge of which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council or the Sanhedrin. I found that he was accused about questions of their law, which is right, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me, that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul, brought him by night to uh, Antipatrice, and on the next day they returned to the barracks, uh, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, Felix, they presented Paul also before him, and on reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium, which is like his palace or his headquarters. All right. So let's think real quickly what took place. Part of the plot that the Jews came up with is they've got to bring the authorities into the thing to help us out so we can find him and ambush him. And so they invited the chief priests and the elders to come up with their plan and to persuade the tribune to bring Paul to them so that they could examine him further. But in reality, what's happening is the men would lie in ambush or wait in ambush as Paul was being transported so that when Paul was transported, they would kill him. But the nephew of Paul heard the story, so he went and told Paul, who then 
got the centurion and said, would you take my nephew to the tribune because he needs to tell him something. And when he gets to the tribune, he tells about the plot and the tribune goes, oh my goodness, we got to do something about this. He comes up with a plan of his own and his plan was to send Paul on to Caesarea. Caesarea was like the Roman headquarters for the, uh, their province of Judea. And in Caesarea, which is by uh, the coast of the Mediterranean, was where the governor himself lived. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus, when he was crucified, we know there's a character by the name of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea at that time. Now we have Felix, who is the governor. That's the, the situation that's going on. Paul says, let's get, uh, I'm sorry, the tribune says, let's get Paul to Felix in Caesarea. Scholars tell us that there were about a thousand Roman forces in the city of Jerusalem. So the tribune took the threat so seriously that he sent almost half of the military forces with Paul. There's a thousand in the city, and as we see in this account, the tribune sends 470 of the thousand. We see there's 200 soldiers, we see there's 70 cavalry members, there's 200 spearmen, and it says that they left at 9 p.m., which points to the urgency of getting Paul to safety, as well as they're using the cover of night to try to protect everyone. In the letter that he sent to Felix, he basically said, hey, my judgment is that Paul does not deserve death, he does not deserve imprisonment, and I need you to check out his case. Now, in order for us to understand what takes place, I do want to show us a map. And on the map, we have three cities that are going to show up. And it's going to show you where Jerusalem is and how they're headed to Caesarea. And uh, they're going to pause on the way to Caesarea, and it's not there. Okay, so I don't know why the dots are not there. I don't know why the arrows are not there, but let's pretend they are, all right? So Jerusalem is somewhere around that M, probably, uh, in that general vicinity. Uh, Auntie Patrice is uh, either at the A or underneath the T, somewhere in that area. And Caesarea is on the uh, coast right there at the sea, okay? So he's getting from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and it's about 65 or 70 miles. So Auntie Patrice is halfway. They get halfway. They spend the night in Auntie Patrice, and then the next day they get up, and they go on to Caesarea. We find out that he makes it safely to Caesarea. He stands before Felix. Felix goes, okay, when your accusers get here, we will hear your case. So you're like, okay. You started by telling about blacklist and the ambush. That was kind of a cool story maybe, or maybe not. And then, and then we have something similar here, and this time the ambush fails. So the question is, why does Luke write it? Is it more to the story than simply a failed ambush? Use him. Jesus appears and says everything's going to be okay, and then the next day, his nephew shows up out of the middle of nowhere and says, hey, Uncle Paul, just so you know, they're going to ambush you, they're going to kill you. There's 40 of them, they're mad, they're, they've made this vow, they're going to kill you. And, and then the tribune puts him on a horse in the dark of night, and Paul rides with a military escort of 470 Roman soldiers and gets to safety in Caesarea. It's like this back and forth and back and forth. There's all kinds of things going on, but the undercurrent is pointing to the fact that nothing can thwart God's plan. You see, over and over, God had proven in the life of Paul that nothing was going to stop his plans for Paul. Paul was stoned a time or two. He was beaten. He was run out of town. He was threatened with imprisonment. He was put in prison over and over and over again. God has a plan for Paul, and nothing would stop his plan. Here's the deal. We can look at this story 
We can look at the people that God used to rescue Paul or to deliver him from uh, the, the mob that was trying to kill him and, and those that wanted to take this oath to kill him. We can look at the unusual circumstances and we could say, oh my goodness, wasn't that cool how it all laid out what these people and these circumstances did. But the reality, it wasn't the people, it wasn't the circumstances, it was God himself that stopped this plan. You see, not only did God prevent an ambush, here's the cool thing. God advanced his plan, his purpose, through the failed ambush, because it was the failed ambush that got Paul from Jerusalem on up to Caesarea, which put him at the coast, which put him that much closer to Rome. So God is advancing his purpose, not allowing anything to intervene. Instead, he himself intervenes. So, here's Paul. He's going to end up, little spoiler alert, he gets to Rome, and the way he gets to Rome is because the Roman legal system gets him there. And so God further entrenched him in the legal system by getting him to Felix so that Felix would hear his court case. So do you see that nothing stops God's plan? Here's the thing we have to realize. I say this jokingly, if you've never been here before, you haven't heard me talk about the Cowboys and how I would love to see them win a Super Bowl, but here's the deal, when I say nothing's going to thwart God's plan, it has absolutely nothing to do with whether my team wins the Super Bowl or not. It had nothing to do with whether the Aggies won the ball game yesterday or not. Now granted, how we interact in the middle of what we do, whether trivial or not, matters, and we should honor the Lord with whatever we do in our jobs, in our activities, in our entertainment, and things like that. But at the end of the day, when I say nothing will thwart God's plan, I'm talking about His plan, not your plan. I'm talking about His plan, not your interpretation or wish for what you think His plan should be. It's His plan that is never thwarted. The problem comes whenever we insert ourselves and try to get our plan to work because we think God's slow about his plan so maybe it's my plan that's supposed to make God's plan happen I keep pointing back to my d group that we're reading the scripture together we're in just finish up the book of Genesis and time and time and time again in Genesis we see uh, all of the patriarchs try to bring a plan of God's into play by doing their own thing and they instead of advancing God's plan they interrupt it but even that won't stop God's plan from happening Nothing we do will intercept God's plan. I want to think of the prime example where it seemed like the plan that God had had been thwarted. Go back with me to the Gospels. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is put on the cross. Jesus is killed on the cross. Jesus is put in a tomb for three days. Satan must have thought he won because Jesus was dead. He was in the grave. It was over with. But the reality is his little plan actually played into God's plan because it was God's plan all along that Jesus would be crucified for our sins. So the reality is nothing stops God's plan. We, we call this sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God says that God has the absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. And not only is God sovereign, God is also good. So therefore, because he's sovereign, therefore, because he's good, you and I can trust him in every aspect of our lives knowing that his plan will not be thwarted. We can take confidence that his plan, again, not necessarily yours, but his plan will not be stopped. It's one thing to say that God's plan won't be thwarted, but it's another thing entirely 
to live that out. So here's the question I have for you. You know, in my whole, uh, my whole group last week, they gave me grief because I asked a lot of questions last week. I'm not going to ask as many this week. Here's my question at the end of this idea that nothing can thwart God's plan. Here's my question. How might your life today be different if you truly believe that? How might your life today be different if you truly believed that nothing can thwart God's plans? I say that if we believe that, we'll have rest. I say that if we believe that, we'll have peace. I say that if we believe that, we'll have boldness to stand up and say what we need to say on behalf of God and what he's leading us to say. I say that if we live this way, then we'll realize it doesn't rest on me. Whether people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior does not rest fully on me, but rather his Holy Spirit, all I'm called to do is to faithfully preach the gospel. Nothing is going to thwart God's plan. And I also believe if we believe that, that we'll step out in obedience. All right? Now, I said I won't ask a lot of questions, but you'll see there's a question on your sheet next. And that is, whose plan are you pursuing? This is a question, but it's also trying to make a point. If we're acknowledging that nothing thwarts God's plan, my question is, are you following his plan? And therefore, nothing will be thwarted. You might face obstacles, you may face difficulties, but ultimately his plan won't be thwarted. Or are you following your own plan, which is a different thing altogether? Here's what our own plan may look like. If you're like me, it's the logical one. It's the one that I can wrap my brain around. I, get this, I loved algebra. Because algebra is nothing to me but logic. And you plug in the answer and you see that you're right, and it's amazing. It's simple to me. Now, don't ask me to do it today because it's been a day or two since I've done algebra. I, the whole question, when am I going to use algebra in my life? I don't use it as a pastor. But anyway, so I, but I like logic. And so sometimes if we're not careful, the plan that we pursue is the logical plan. Here's another plan we could pursue. We could pursue the feel-good plan. If it feels good, do it. That's my plan. At times like this, I don't want anybody to take a, a, a sound bite and say that I said that that's a good thing. That's a bad thing. Here's another plan you could follow, your own plan. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad plan. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinful or evil or horrible or wicked, but it's my plan and not surrender to the plan of the Lord. That's another plan. It's not necessarily bad, but it's the plan that doesn't consult the Lord. Then there is this plan, the wicked, sinful plan. Like I've got my addiction and I don't want to give it up. I'm doing my thing, and I don't care what God's Word has to say about it. I'm going to live life like I want to, and, and I'm going to step out in boldness and continue to sin. And perhaps some of you in this room came for a baptism, but you're living a rebellious life against God, and you're living in sin. God's calling you to repent of that sin, because that wicked, sinful plan will fail every time. Another one that I'll share with you is this. It could be society's plan. It's the proverbial, the wisdom of this age. Society says we should live our lives this way. Society says the Bible's outdated. Society says the Bible's not relevant anymore to our lives. The Bible isn't worth following. The, 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 the logic, which is not logical, can go from there. What plan are you following? Are you, plan, are you following the Lord's plan or are you following something else? Each of these plans that I just shared with you, but minus the Lord's plan, have something in common. They all go against God's plans. They're all Satan's plans in that regard. You see, there is no middle ground. Either we're following the Lord's plan or we're not. We can't sit on the fence. 
There's no middle ground. We either obey God's word or we disobey God. And we could disobey God passively or actively. Either way, it's going against God's will. So are we actively obeying God's will and his plan and seeking to follow it? And maybe I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm reading God's word and I'm seeking to apply it to my lives. Or, or am I just cruising through life? Am I just going to church every Sunday? Do I just have the perfect attendance ribbon? Do I just have a grandpappy to preach faithfully every Sunday, but I don't really apply it to my own life? The question is, am I willing to follow God's plan, or am I trying to play middle ground? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. It's not on the screen. You can jot it down. Matthew 12, 30. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever's not with me is against me. So now I'm going to ask you a question. It's a reflection. The statement you may want to jot down. Here's the statement and then there's a question. Since God's plan is not thwarted, he will thwart every other plan. Did you hear that? If God's plan will not be thwarted, the reality is he's going to thwart every other plan that's contrary to his plan. And my question for you is this. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? I want to be okay. I'm intellectually okay with that. Am I living my life in that way? All right, so the first point that we saw was that nothing can thwart God's plan. We tried to think through the ramifications of that, and here's the second main point, the only other main point on your uh, sheet, and that is trust in God's providential care. I mentioned a moment ago about God's sovereignty. His plan will happen. He is in charge. He has the right to do so. And now we're twisting it, not twisting it in a negative way, but we're looking at it from a different angle, and we're saying that God has a providential care for us. It's the idea of providence is this. God shows caring provision for his people. When we say that God is providential and we trust his providential care, we're saying he provides for us and he accomplishes his purpose in us as he lovingly cares for us. What I think is this, it's one thing to affirm theoretically God's sovereignty. It's another thing to rest in his sovereignty experientially. To rest in his sovereignty experientially means that I am actively trusting in God's providential care for me as he enacts his will and his plan and his purpose. Things don't always go the way we want them to go. There are things like sickness and illness. There are at times relationships that break down and dissolve. There are financial difficulties. There's aging. There's disease. There's death. There's tragedy that comes. And then there's just the interpersonal relationship that you may have with others that doesn't always go like you'd like it to. But the reality is this, that if we are following Jesus, then we can trust in his providential care for us as we seek to follow him and everything will be okay. Sometimes God's providential care shows up in unusual ways. In the account we've read today, it shows up in unusual ways. Here's Paul's nephew showing up out of the middle of nowhere. Honest, honest question, 
Don't raise your hand unless you can say yes. How many before you read this today either never knew or forgot that there's any mention of Paul's family in the Bible whatsoever? How many of you forgot it or never knew it? Okay, some of you knew it, some of you didn't. Okay, here's the deal. Most of us probably really didn't know it because Paul's family has mentioned the grand total of one time. Right there it is. It says Paul's sister. Oh, yeah, Bernice. Yeah, Bernice's boy. No, we don't know anything about her. Maybe the original readers knew. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just, Luke just needed you to know this is a family. We don't know whether the guy was a Christian, whether he wasn't a Christian, whether he was an active Jew. or We don't know anything about him. We just know that God providentially showed up by using his nephew who apparently showed up out of nowhere. And then the next question is, well, how did, how did the nephew know it? I mean, was he just walking along the street and he overheard it and he leaned in and heard it? I mean, did he, did he see it on Twitter? Like, how did he find out about this ambush plan? I have no clue. We talked in our class this morning, equipment class. There are just things we don't have to know. God's Word is complete and it is sufficient for what we need to know. And we don't really need to know where Paul's nephew came from or how he heard it. All we know is that God used this providential care to allow this random person, who is Paul's nephew, to randomly hear, which was not random, it was God's providential care all along. God allowed him to hear it. That's how he heard it. There were no no coincidences. And then Paul hops on a horse in the middle of a surrounding army around him as he's brisked away from the city and escorted to safety. It wasn't because of the tribune's plan that rescued Paul, but rather it was God's providence. And then he ends up at the governor's palace, and he's going to be heard by Felix, which we'll read about in the next week or two. Felix was empowered by the country or empire of Rome and God utilized that and it wasn't because of a Jewish plot that got him to Felix but rather is by the providence of God guys we need to trust in God's sovereignty to the point that we trust that he will take care of us now I'm not talking about a walk in the park I'm not saying life is easy I'm not saying the Christian's life is simplistic or easy I'm just simply saying that we can rest and have peace to know that God's grace is sufficient in the middle of what we're facing because he providentially cares for us trust God follow God put aside your own plans watch him show up for his plans a little side note Paul is rescued by the cavalry. Doesn't that sound like a movie in and of itself right there? Whatever difficulty you're facing, the cavalry may never swoop in and save you. But the good news is this. What God gives us every single time is much better, and that is God gives us himself. And in his providential care, it is more than sufficient. A couple of questions in this section, and then we'll go to the last one, which is not a point, it's actually a question. Here are the two questions. Can you see evidence of God's providential care in your life? Are you able to see evidence in your own life of God's providential care for you and for others? And then the second one is, when you see that, have you taken time to give him thanks for that care? And then to kind of finish up our time together, 
is that last point that's on your sermon outline, which is actually a question that's helping us move this thought along about trusting in God's providential care, and that is where are you struggling to trust in his providential care? See, it can be very difficult to trust in God's care at times. Why is that? Because we think it's easier and better for us to take up the reins of our own lives and try to live life like we want to live our lives and do it ourselves. But let me tell you this, every time we do that, we get in trouble every single time. Instead, we should find ways to truly rest in God's provision for us. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, nothing will thwart his plans. And yet, at the same time, he integrates his sovereign agenda with human decisions. And so while God has sovereign plans and his plan will not be thwarted, he chooses to use us and our response to him and our decisions and our free will to respond to him. He calls us to holiness. He's asking us to live that life out in his power and his strength, but we're to respond. So my question for you in this section is, what are your decisions in your life saying about your trust or your lack thereof of God's care for you? In other words, what do your actions reflect? Do you trust God or do you not? Do you trust his providential care or do you not? And what do your actions seem to indicate? I would encourage you this morning to not simply be captivated by the interesting plot of this story that's a true story in the life of Paul but rather that we would be captivated by the God of this story you see Paul's not the hero of this story the Tribune's not the hero of this story the Centurion's not the hero the nephew's not the hero Felix is not the hero there's only one hero of every story in scripture and that is God himself Christ is the hero he's the one that provides for us and are we trusting in his providential care he's calling us to step out in confidence and obedience to follow him it's been interesting to see over the last five or six months i intentionally started a moment ago about being at kyle field and watching a football game and all of that because i knew that probably to a t all of these guys the the dudes that are here with Caden to see his baptism are all teammates of his I think or the vast majority of them are on the football team at uh, College Station High School and it's been interesting to see how and guys here's here's the hero of the story Jesus Christ not the two names I'm about to mention okay but to see like he's excited here's the deal three weeks ago I think it was Caden three weeks ago I stopped by Chick-fil-a on a Wednesday night to grab um, some food and when I walked in, I knew that they met on Wednesday nights in various places uh, for Bible study. I walk in, and I see Caden over there. I was like, all right, there's Caden. So Davis is going to be not too far away from him. There he was. I saw some other guys I recognized, and a lot of guys I didn't. Mo was dragging his feet. He wasn't there yet to lead the Bible study, but he was eventually going to get there, I think. But the reality was this. I started talking to those guys. I told them a story about um, our pa former pastor, Butch Smith, is doing FCA stuff up in East Texas. And he had shown a, a video of some uh, guys getting baptized at Chapel Hill, which is a, football, uh, a high school that was some uh, guys getting baptized at Chapel Hill, which is a, football, uh, a high school that was in my district up in White House, Tyler area. And after football practice one day, there were, I forget, I, I told you guys, I don't know how many, like 20 guys or something got baptized at a football practice. 
And I told Caden and the guys about it, and they all started, like, smiling. They're like, dude, that's what we want to see. We want to see all of our teammates get baptized. Here's the deal. I want to see everybody get baptized, too, but first and foremost, we want to, and I'm not correcting Caden. I'm bringing clarity to the whole situation. I could care less about baptism. I care about salvation that then results in baptism. So here's the deal. What's God calling you to do? He's calling you to obey. Some of you may have come to watch a baptism, but you don't know Jesus yourself as your Lord and Savior, and today could be the day that you turn to him. See, the Bible says that uh, all of us are sinners and have fallen short of a holy, perfect God. None of us live to the standard that God sets out. Here's what standard is. It's perfection. It's infinity of obedience. There's no shortfall in God, and therefore that's his standard. And I don't care how small of a sinner you are, you don't stack up to that. Don't compare yourself to the next-door neighbor. Don't compare yourself to the mass murderer and say, at least I've never swung an axe at anybody. I'm okay. No, the reality is all of us, if we are a human being, we sin against a holy, perfect God. We live in rebellion, and we thumb our noses at God and say, God, no, thank you. I'll do it my own way. You're like, no, 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 that's not me. I go to church every Sunday. I, 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 I pray at mealtime. I'm a good person. No, the reality is this. I'm not asking you to be a good person. I'm asking you if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Scripture tells us that it's by grace through faith that you are saved, not works of your own, but rather it is by the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus have you said yes to him for salvation? Today can be the day of salvation. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you followed up in baptism, if you've said yes to Jesus and you're attending this church and you haven't yet become a member, is he calling you to become a member? Is he calling you to be in a hope group, a D group? Any of these things, what is God calling you to say yes to him? Mo and I, this past week, we were talking about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I just quoted it somewhat. And then we went to chapter 10, I mean, verse 10, we see that at the same time, while we're not saved by works, we are saved for good works. So we're called to live a life of sanctification, which is holiness, obedience. Where's the Lord calling you to step out? Trust in his providential care. His providential care brings salvation if you repent of your sins and trust in him. His providential care allows you the opportunity to be baptized. His providential care allows you to live in obedience towards him. His providential care allows for you to go out and tell that hope to the world around you. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for we thank you for the sermon itself during the time of baptism. Not just the words that any individual shared, but the fact that we witnessed with our eyes the symbolic picture of Jesus being buried and raised to life. The symbolic picture of a person who's placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as they are buried. The old has been buried the old is dead the old has gone away and behold all things are new father i pray that you would have your way in this service this morning that we would say yes to you as you lead us to follow you god we thank you for the folks that are here with us today but god i pray that we would not just be spectators today but that we would say yes to you. Where are you leading us, Lord? Help us to see it. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to follow you. Help us to understand that nothing can thwart your plan. And your plan is to bring salvation to many people that all nations would be blessed and understand who Jesus is as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray this morning that you would fulfill that by bringing salvation to people's lives today. 
God, may your will be done in our lives, and may we not try to intercept your plans, but rather may we see your providential care and love and provision for us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you stand with us? We at our church typically sing two songs as a response. And this first song, second song, you can do the same thing in both songs. It's just the difference is the second song, we'll pass an offering plate. And so if you've got an offering or, or a connection card you want to drop in the plate, you can do that during the second song. But during either song, I'm available to pray here at the front if you want to pray with me. If you want to grab somebody that's with you and you want to come to the altar and pray at the altar, uh, you can do that. If you want to pray by yourself, if you want to pray at your seat, if you want to fill out your connection card. But I want us to say yes to God and his plans and trust him as he empowers us to live it out. Would you say yes to him this morning and just obey him wherever he leads? Let's sing this song together. I'll be available here at the front if you'd like to come and pray with me. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king.
Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to to see our need to repent of our sins. We've been taken to the empty tomb to see that Christ overcame sin and death and brings full, complete healing and wholeness. We've been taken to the baptistry to see what it looks like to step out in obedience and follow him. My challenge to each of us as we leave this place in a second that we would go in God's grace to follow him and to understand. Come by and greet these seven and let them know how excited you are about their baptism and decision today. And then as we are dismissed now, may we go out seeking to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. We're dismissed.